Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. There's a lot coming up on the show today, including talk about Donald Trump, an ABC poll. Overnight, he trails Hillary Clinton by only four points. It's actually gained on her since all the um, all the uh, accusations over the last week have taken form. So following a week of scandalous headlines aimed at Donald Trump, he has just that four-point deficit in the poll to Hillary Clinton. C. Mason Weaver is a former Black Panther liberal, a former member of the United States Navy during the Vietnam War, a graduate of the University of Berkeley with a degree in political science. He's an entrepreneur. He formed a consulting company and has been a national spokesperson for many groups and organizations. Did what I do, hosted a call-in radio program. You know, while I'm doing this, I'm trying to get this mouse to cooperate so that I can actually talk to uh, to Mason Weber. Um, he has uh, morphed from a liberal to a black conservative. And today he says of Black Lives Matter that it really is Black Lives Matter. He challenges whites by saying, what happened to you white folks? Where are the Vikings? You guys are cowards. And of Barack Obama, Mr. Weaver says he's done nothing but drive us apart. He hates America. Mason Weaver has appeared on all major U.S. television and radio networks, and we welcome him to this program. Mason, thank you very much for taking the time. And where do we start? Where do we start today? Well, let's start at the truth. The truth is the Liberal Democratic Party has done nothing, nothing that we should want more of. Uh, they speak a very good game. They feel your pain because they're the ones stabbing a knife in your chest. They feel the pain. Uh, but they are the party of slavery. They're the party of misery and management of that misery. They're the party of poverty, not for the poor, they're for poverty. They have done nothing but divide and manage our misery. And we in America are absolutely completely tired of it. Do you see that there's going to be an almost inevitability of Donald Trump winning on the night of November the 8th, because it seems like nothing is going to stick to him, regardless of the, the, the accusations. And there were very serious accusations in the last several days. But he, he manages to overcome the accusations and, the, and, and everything the Democratic Party throws at them and the, and the mainstream media throw at him. So I'm, I'm not so sure whether it's Donald Trump or it's the message or a combination of the two. Well, it's also everything the Republican establishment is throwing at him. It's like me saying, Mr. Green, why don't you be honest and open with your listeners? Why don't you confess the fact that you are a five-foot-tall, 110-pound female? What do you say to that? How long do you argue? Your, your listeners will say Mason is foolish. We are saying it does not matter. If, if, if liberals do not care about Bill Clinton, the Monica Lewinsky, and a cigar, then we're not going to care. We, we think that no matter what Donald Trump does, it does not make him a less candidate than Hillary Clinton. We don't care about his personal life. We care about the doggone wall being built. We don't care if he likes girls or not. We care about China being challenged. We do not care about the sort of the private little personal things we're not falling for it anymore. The last election, you had Tom, uh, you had uh, Kane with women, New Gingrich with women. We see it every election cycle, and we are absolutely tired of it. They cannot tell us anything about Trump because we want the doggone wall built. You know, yesterday, and we talk about the U.S. election a lot on this program, and uh, we have, we've had uh, Dr. Ben Carson on as a guest. And if you let the man talk, he's, he can actually, he's a, he's a wonderful guest. I, th- I thought he was a terrific person to talk to. But we, uh, we did a segment yesterday, and, uh, you know, after this last week that's been really the, um, I don't know, maybe it was the, the week of the election, or we've heard that before. Anyway, I said to my callers, if you were in a voting booth in private and you're standing behind a cardboard partition and you have a piece of paper in your hands and you have the name Trump and the name Clinton and a box under each one, what are you going to vote? How are you going to vote? And we did not screen our callers. We didn't screen them. Mason, it was 100% Donald Trump. Yeah, it's going to be hard to... I personally cannot see how any American would vote for Hillary. Um, but the reason she's going to get voting is two reasons. She's going to be cheating, number one. And number two, slaves always vote for their masters. 
abused people always support their abusers. You had Patty Hearst here in America, um, the uh, the Hearst newspaper Harris was kidnapped and she robbed a bank for her kidnappers. So you you, you got abused women that will go and defend their abusive husband. They fight the police. So the more you abuse people, the more loyal they are to you. And liberals know that. So they, the, the people that are abused the most, inner-city black people, are voting 95% for Hillary because they vote for the abuser. And that's the big issue that we have to fix after we fix this election. All right, so we've had an, a, a black president for two terms, eight years, and his popularity numbers are quite high for the end of the, the, his time in office. Um, and he's supporting very strongly, as is his wife, supporting Hillary Clinton. What does Barack Obama mean to you, and what do the eight years of Barack Obama administration mean to you? Well, as a black person, he has devastated the black community. Jobs, home ownerships, businesses have been devastated. As an American, he has triple. He, he has uh, increased the cost of college by one third. He has controlled and taken over my medical, which is to me immoral. He has divided our country. He has failed to defeat ISIS, and he has increased the opportunity for North Korea to export their nuclear weapons. And I, I mean, he has done. I can't think of anything positive he has done except agree to leave January the twentieth. Did you say he hates America? Yes, he hates America. Obviously, he hates America because he campaigned on fundamentally transforming America. He was standing in the greatest country the world has ever seen. And he wants to change it, not improve it, not make it better, but change it. That means he hates the direction we're going in. Barack Obama hates freedom. He hates independence. He wants to manage us and not keep us free. And so the popularity of Barack is that he has increased the poverty level so much that almost half of Americans do not pay taxes. We're on welfare. We're on some kind of government assistance. That means, that means we're slaves to him. And if, and if, if Obamacare continues to, to implode, the only solution will be what they always desired, single-payer health care. And when the government controls your health care, you will do anything for grandma's heart transplant or Aunt Mary's breast, breast cancer. You will do anything, and they will own you, and they know that. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Mason Weaver is with me, masonweaver.com. Entrepreneur, a speaker, he's um, an author, and he's an outspoken supporter of Donald Trump and the conservative movement in the United States. Mason, you're set to have ended a relationship with your girlfriend because she had a white dog. Is that true? Yes. Um, she was a beautiful lady, too, but I, I was so mean, so evil, so anti-white. She got a white dog, and I didn't talk to her anymore. That's how crazy I was. So, so you, you hated white people. Well, I had, a, I had a white racist shipmate try to kill me. He dropped 2,800 pounds of steel on me, crushing me. Wow. And I, I look, the look on his face when I was laying there dying, the look on his face uh, fueled my racial hatred. When I, when I got off Monday night, even though eight white guys rescued me, even though my doctor was white, my physical therapist was white, it did not matter. I hated I was done with America. I was done with the racism. I'm done with the double standards. Dumb. I was done. I went to Berkeley and hung out with, I was taught sociology by Melvin Newton, Huey Newton's older brother, and I hung with that crowd that hated America and, and the black men who had to find a reason for their misery, because their ego, their male ego, refused to let you think that another man has you down. It must be something else. And we sung that white man that done me wrong song, and we, we, we protested. But see, the, the Black Panthers and the protest of the 60s and early 70s was against the civil rights, the legal rights. There were laws on the books, redlining for real estate. I could not buy a home across that line. That's a civil problem. Uh, discrimination in jobs, and have signs, you cannot hire black folks. Th- those things have to be changed. I didn't care about white folks liking me. I didn't care about white folks accepting me. I wanted to compete with America. And once you got rid of those legal barriers, I felt we had won the battle. Why continue the hate? I'm not going to compete. I'm going to go into business. I'm going to put my mind against anybody else's mind and earn my money. And I did that. That's why I became a conservative, because right now freedom is yours for the asking, and my first book came out because I felt people were confused. I, the book was titled, It's Okay to Leave the Plantation. 
Master won't tell you, and you can still sit there and pick his cotton if you want to, but I went on and got my own dog on cotton field. So today you're the conservative, more to the conservative. You're an entrepreneur. You uh, you, you understand uh, the economic realities and, and, and the challenges that are out there, but people can take them on if they choose to. That's the position that, yes. that you're taking. That I that, so you, and you're and you're accusing Barack Obama of having uh, fostered a division uh, between the races in, in the United States. What about Black Black Lives Matter? What you, what do you say to them? Socialist group funded by George Soros. Um, uh, they believe in, they want they have to destroy the police force uh, because they they want chaos. They, they 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 thrive in chaos, so they have to. You know, I wrote a letter to the new Black Panther Party from an old Black Panther, and I said, you know, if you want to protest, I will join you. If you're going to protest the Bloods and the Crips, if you're going to protest those evil inner-city gang prep schools, if, if, if you're going to go up against those things, I will protest. But if you're going to protest the police, honestly, police are in the black neighborhoods to protect black women from black men because black men are the terrorists in the black community. Chicago, 3,000 people shot in a year? Are you kidding me? You know, more, more black men are shot in Chicago in one year than the Ku Klux Klan's entire history of killing black people. Lynching, murder, anything else combined has not equal one city in America. And that city belongs to Barack Obama, the same city that Louis Farrakhan lives, the same city that Jesse Jackson lives, the same city that El Trumpin visits often. These social pimps, these poverty pimps, in the black community are enriching themselves on the misery of black people, led by Barack Obama. He has gotten rich under Bush and richer under himself, while black people have gotten poor. Yes, he hates black people. Uh, I'm going to give uh, opportunity to Black Lives Matter to be on this program and speak uh, uh, their, about their cause and their issue. And all they have to do is contact me at Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Yeah, wait for that call. What uh, uh, you, you've said to white people, you've said, um, what happened to you white folks? Yeah. Where are the Vikings? You guys are yeah. cowards. Really? What, yeah. I mean, what the heck happened? White people conquered the Vikings, the, the, the Roman legions. What the heck happened to that courage, that standard, the culture you have to defend what is right? We have allowed society to tell white men that they're weak. A third of action, you know it's foolish, and no one stands up for it. We need, black and service need white people to stand up and join us. Let's push back this darkness. It's not black or white. It's right and wrong. And white people are just, what is, I don't understand. It's like you're scared of being called a name. You guys conquered the world and went to the moon. My goodness, can't you at least defend your family? You've thrown down the gauntlet. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of comment and, 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 uh, and calls. Mason, one, one final point. Uh, Donald Trump, you believe he'd be a good president? I believe Donald Trump would save America. Uh, because he is, he is for success. Donald Trump's vision of America, first off, that wall. Understand, folks, this is my country. And I, Mason, I have 30 seconds. Oh, well, okay. He'll be a great president because America is great. Once we turn on the economic engine that is America, the whole world will be better off, folks. God bless you. Thank you for the time today. Take care, sir. Anytime. All the best. MasonWeaver.com. MasonWeaver.com. It's okay to leave the plantation is the name of one of his books. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Colin Kennedy of Winnipeg has battled cancer for 17 years. He's also seen his mother rack up significant charges for hospital parking when she takes her son for treatments. Kennedy is now fighting for free hospital parking for patients and caregivers nationally, as I mentioned. And he has an e-petition. You can take a look at it. It's E-492. It's ready for signatures, yours included. And the petition is sponsored by his member of parliament. Hospital parking is a lucrative source of money for whoever manages it. I mentioned uh, before the break that in 2014-15, Alberta Health Services took in $75 million in hospital parking, and they had a surplus of 18, I think it was 18 million or 17 million, and it was a big, big number. Um... Mr. Kennedy says when you're stressed as a patient or as a caregiver, you should not have to worry about parking fees, which can be high. Colin Kennedy joins us from uh, Winnipeg. This week his focus has been Alberta, but 
We're talking nationally, and that, of course, also includes the beautiful Wild Rose Province. Colin, great to have you with us. Thank you much, Roy. How are you today? I'm well. How are you? I'm hanging in there pretty good, considering. Um, you've been fighting this battle for a long time, your, your health battle. And uh, I wish you the very, very best, sir. I just want to say that first. Thank you. When, when did you first... When did you first have a concern about hospital parking? Because I think most of us, and I went well, through a lot of hospital parking fairly recently, we just pay, mutter, and leave, right? Most of us. Exactly. Exactly. And, I, and that's what I did for many, many, many years. Um, even after you know, my wife passed and I was doing things on my own, uh, I still didn't think anything of it. It's like, yeah, it's one of those processes that we did every day. Then about this time last year, I fell critically ill and ended up spending six weeks in the hospital. So I was an active resident at the hospital, and my mom was my mom was in from British Columbia to care for me during that time to take care of matters for me. And during the six weeks that I was there, she had racked up almost six hundred dollars in parking fees, and I was appalled when I discovered that this had occurred. And said, there, "There's got to be something wrong with that." And I requested my mom do some very specific research, and she brought to me a very consistent, disturbing discovery, which said, yes, you are allowed this access without the financial burden or other barriers to prevent you from that access. We're not talking about access for just rich or poor people. We're talking access for all people. And parking for some people is critical, especially if they come from out of town or if, if they're in an emergency situation, like in Winnipeg, Manitoba Health Sciences Center, we have parking meters less than two car lengths away from the front door of an emergency hospital. Like the entrance, so you have to pay before you get entered. Into the ER? Into the ER, for both adult and children's hospital. I'm shaking my head. Now, there are, there are jurisdictions, and national jurisdictions, are there not, where there, there is no hospital parking fee? Uh, yeah, actually, in uh, Queen Elizabeth, at PEI uh, was the last hospital to have charges, and they like basically there is no charges on the island anymore. Uh, and there's some countries, are there not some countries as well? Um, yes, um, Scotland and Wales abolished parking around medical facilities because they deemed it unethical. So, so what's the argument that you that you what's the persuasive argument that has to be made here? Because, you know, I saw as many of us did because you're you focused on Alberta this week. But Alberta Health Services, seventy five million dollars in parking last year, thirty one facilities across the province, nine municipalities, and they deposited seventeen million into a reserve fund, which is now at sixty million dollars. And Alberta Health Services argues healthcare funding cannot be used to support hospital parking. They also say. That if it's a you know if it's an economic issue, they'll consider lower rates. They have uh, lower rates for um, for uh, long term care parking, and um, and so that's their position. So what's the what's the what's the what's the most cogent argument, most persuasive argument to do away with hospital parking for caregivers and patients? It goes against the Canada Health Act and the Patients' Rights Act, which means it goes against your physical civil rights. To take or extort money from a patient or caregiver from us is against the law, according to the federal bills that have been passed. It started in 1984 when Pierre Elliott Trudeau signed off on the Canada Health Act, and then it was reaffirmed in Ontario with the Tommy Douglas Act in 2003 with the Patients' Rights Act, saying the exact same thing, that we all get access to this without financial or other barriers, and this is exactly what that is. This is an extortion on that. It's, it's, it's flagrant disregard for that. For that, law. you you have your member of parliament's support, correct? Yes, I do, Robert Falcone Ouellette. Okay, so now, if this is a legal issue, a legal matter, if it's a case of, you know, it's a breaking the law um, and violating the civil rights of every Canadian who has to pay for parking, are we talking just about patients and caregivers or everyone? We're talking about we're talking about patients and caregivers. Uh, anybody who anybody who walks into that facility. Uh, whether you're there to care for somebody or whether you are requesting care, you have access to that facility and it should not cost you anything. Like, if, this is the thing. This, medicine is a black hole. You shouldn't expect to see great numbers coming out of a hospital. You should see very large red numbers. Why? Because it shows productivity of the hospital that they're doing their job and caring for the people that are around them. If that starts to show closer to the black, it means something's wrong. 
it means that we're, we're, we're cutting corners somewhere or somewhere a patient is suffering from something because we're, we're, not, we're not in the red. A, pa- a hospital or care facility should always run in the red. So I would have a debate with you on that only because I've, I've, I've uh, promoted a, um, a possibility which would include private health care in Canada that every person would have access to with their Canadian health card and the, and the private health care organizations will either make money and be successful based on uh, just their own efficiencies or they would fail. But no Canadian would be denied access to the private facility at any time and wouldn't pay anything that they wouldn't pay with a, with a provincial card. Anyway, that's a debate for another day. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Colin Kennedy is with me, and uh, we're talking about hospital parking. He has a national petition, E492, underway, that's going to be presented in Parliament. Uh, there's, I guess, Colin, there's no guarantee that... Well, I'm not sure that there is a way for everybody to be forced to um, to submit if if the majority in Parliament say no parking. I don't know if that works across the country, or doesn't Parliament have the ultimate say? Um, well, see, well, it's not even so much Parliament having the power to make the hospitals do something as it's the time for Parliament to act in order for them to do something. Because if this is deemed a national issue, because this is happening across the country, yeah. and not uniformly so, like it's different, Pricing all like we're supposed to have uniform access. Different pricing across the country is is another show that there's something wrong. Like like this is a chaotic situation yeah, it is. that Parliament can get a handle on and get a get get control of and realize that hospital stays increase, which increase the amount of money we have to put into the hospitals, which is much higher than the cost of having places for people to park. Um, and if this is a national issue it becomes a question of, like, they say, well, we're not funded yet. What that, what I, that's what they should be saying. Yes, we're not, we're not federally or provincially funded yet. Why? Because there's been no, no need for that service yet. It's been, it's, been, it's been an intake service. Now we're going to say, okay, now we have to use this as a, uh, a, a write-off. This, this is where money's going into because we have to support the people we're trying to care for in our country. All right. And the only way we can, the best way to do that is to show them this gratitude by saying you can come and see your loved one or care for this human being anytime you want. Absolutely. So E four ninety two calls for an end to public parking costs for patients and caregivers. Correct. Yes. That is correct. Okay. Yeah, that is correct. And what's the deadline for the uh, for the petition? Uh, the deadline is eight thirty in the morning on November twenty fourth, twenty sixteen. And what's the reaction been across the country so far? It's been phenomenal. Uh, the greatest reaction has been from Alberta, but it went from uh, 117 signatures to over 10,000. We're, we're approaching 10,200 signatures. Have you heard one particular story that stays with you? Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, when my mother and I were out at the front of Cancer Care at 695 McDermott Avenue, by the way, they've been so supportive of me. I, I wish I could say more to, to thank them so much for what they've done. Uh, besides saving my life, but this gentleman came rushing out of the front doors. He he saw us when he came in, but he came rushing out of the front doors. He says, "I know what this is. I'm going to sign it, but I can't stay and talk because I had I, I've got to pay for the park. I can't afford to pay for my parking." He just had to cancel in the middle of his appointment because he couldn't afford the parking. So he left his appointment in the middle of his appointment. He left to go pay the parking. He knows to leave because he couldn't afford to. Yeah, so he left the he left the he left the appointment to go pay the for the parking, and and no, he left the appointment and canceled because he couldn't afford to continue to pay for the parking. Oh my goodness! He canceled in the middle of his appointment, and there was no another treatment because they can't afford, or they're afraid they're going to get ticketed or towed, which is going to cost them a lot more if that happens. Wow, Colin, thank you for joining us. E four ninety two, it's online, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. I'm still here. Okay, yep. so it's it's available online. Yeah, you can get to it online. You can just type in your Google or favorite search engine, just petition E-492, and it'll be one of the first things that comes up. It comes up both English and French, so pick the language of your choice and please sign it because Ottawa has to recognize that they recognized this a long time ago. Now we actually have to enforce and enact what it is we have discovered is the problem, so that way we can't continue to do this. I wish you the very best personally. And uh, I hope this petition drive bears fruit.
Thank you so much. All the best Thank to you, Colin. Thank you very Colin. much for having me on your show, Rowan. Bye-bye. Colin Bye-bye. Kennedy on The Green Show. All right, how do you feel about it? Hospital parking. Time for it to be free for patients and caregivers. Linda is in Calgary. Hi, Linda. Oh, hi. Uh, good afternoon. I'd like to thank Colin for starting that petition. Um, in 2008, my grandson was diagnosed with leukemia, and he was at Stollery at that time. And my son and daughter-in-law and I, myself, we decided that there would always be a family member with him, and uh, we left our jobs to, to help look after him. And I thought at that time that the, the charge for parking was immoral. People have so much on their minds. Um, when their hearts are being broken, when you know when they're seeing a loved one go through that kind of treatment. Yes, indeed. And so I would do the night shift there, and uh, my son and daughter-in-law would get passes sometimes. I think there was a limited amount of passes. Um, but I always paid for my parking, and I think it was about, in Calgary, it was about $10 a day. So over the course of 16 months, uh, it amounted to a substantial amount of money. And I even talked to our accountant saying... Does the government let you use this as a, you know, maybe a write-off? Um, the answer is no. The answer is no. And I just, again, I think it's immoral that we should have to, that anyone should have to pay to go to a hospital, especially in a country that has this much land. <laughs> well, that's exactly the point the London Free Press made. You know, it's a public building, public land. Yes. What are they doing during charging your parking? They're making $75 million in Alberta and uh, putting $17 million into a surplus fund. Uh, they, it, it, it is. It, it's extremely difficult, and it's uneven. Some people pay, end up paying $20 parking for uh, ju- about two hours. That, that was the case in Montreal for us. And then uh, when my wife was, was ill in another part of the province, um, she was in the hospital, it was $6 a day, which is more reasonable. But it's just the fact that you, 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 you can't get started unless you take care of the parking first. And you can stand in line at the machine trying to get trying to get somebody trying to go help somebody who's in the emergency room and and you're standing at the machine for who knows how long the lineup could be extremely lengthy it's just counter to everything that's decent it is and it's one more thing that you have to worry about when you've got enough on your mind yes. at that time so yeah thank you Linda. I, will say, I will say goodbye thank you all the best to you thanks bye-bye you're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. So a global agreement to cut emissions of hydrofluorocarbons, HFCs, which power refrigerators and air conditioners, was developed or, or, you know, yesterday was stratified, agreed to. Um, and developed countries begin sooner than the developing nations. Sometimes I wonder whether the developing nations are really developing nations or just have more pull at the United Nations. Um, and, and, and then there's this week, the Ontario Premier accused the people of Ontario of being really bad actors when it comes to GHG usage. Um, um, one of the reasons she's committed to cap and trade. Dr. Patrick Moore joins us. He was the founder of Greenpeace in Canada. Uh, he is uh, the voice for ecosensenow.com today. And uh, Patrick, it's great to have you back on the program. All right, let's push that. Somebody help me out here. Th- Hello, Patrick. Uh, yeah, here I am, Roy. Glad to be back with you. It's actually ecosense.me.me. Say, say it again, please. Ecosense.me. Ecosense.me. That's right. I knew that. I, and I knew that, so excuse me for misfiring. Um, the HFC agreement nations are congratulating each other over what exactly? What have they accomplished? Well, they think that they are saving the world from 0.01 degrees Celsius increase in temperature. Uh, Originally, they floated 0.5 C, but that has been corrected by a number of people. And the fact of the matter is these predictions are all a bunch of computer models anyways that have nothing to do with reality. They just like banning things that have carbon in them, like carbon dioxide and now HFCs, which is fluorocarbons. It used to be CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons, Uh, Those were banned long ago due to an international treaty called the Montreal Protocol in Canada, the United States, and all of Europe. But some countries like China and India have continued to use these fluorocarbons for refrigeration, working fluid in refrigeration and air conditioning and freezing. And they work very well. And 
you know, going back, we were trying to ban them to stop the ozone hole from destroying the Earth. And, you know, in retrospect, all of that was pure hypothesis. There's no actual real proof that our refrigerants did anything to the ozone hole. They claim it's healing now. Well, it's still there. I mean, I, and it may have been at a, at a natural large, larger hole when they first started seeing it in the 80s, 70s and 80s. And now they say we've, we've done really good by fixing it, but it's still there. And it's, there's no evidence that it was ever causing the ozone hole in the first place. And there is actually no evidence that it's causing warming either. These are all laboratory hypothetical uh, arguments. Computer modeling, right? Yes. Well, they can demonstrate that certain compounds are what we call greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide, for example. That's why there's the big fuss about it. And they call it a carbon tax. But it's not a carbon tax. Carbon is what all life is made of. They're talking about carbon dioxide. Now, seeing as though there's two oxygens and one carbon in carbon dioxide, why don't they call it an oxygen tax instead of a carbon tax? People would think that was pretty weird. But it is, in fact, about two-thirds oxygen. And so that's what we're putting a tax on, uh, one-third on the carbon. So please stop breathing. Uh, it's it's just got so completely bizarre and ridiculous. It, it just is not funny. Uh, this thing has swept the world's political superstructure. Uh, practically every uh, prime minister and president in the world buys into it for the optics of it. When China, for 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 a fact, uh, made a deal with the United States that it didn't have to do anything for 30 years on that front. And I'm sure they're probably, you know, laughing behind their back on this, too. The, 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 there's no evidence that CFCs or HFCs are going to cause warming of the Earth any more than there is that carbon dioxide has caused warming of the Earth. There isn't any proof of that either. And they, they just go by computer models. And they think that the data coming out of a computer model is actual data. It's not. It's a computer model spitting out numbers. It's not anything that's being measured in the real world. And if you measure the temperature in the real world, aside from all the fudging they're doing with the data sets now by making it seem warmer now and readjusting numbers from 50, 60, 80 years ago downwards to make it seem as though it was cooler then, when that's not what the thermometer said it was, they they call it homogenization and all kinds of other words like that where they're actually changing the temperature data sets to make it look like it's warming faster than it is. Not that it hasn't warmed over the last 300 years since the depths of the Little Ice Age, which wasn't a very good time to be a farmer in Canada. No, and but there's a, there's a prominent British scientist, environmental scientist, who has recently said, has, has she not, that we're headed for another 30-year mini-ice age? Lots of people are saying that, Roy, because the sun is in one of its quietest periods, and it's interesting that a very quiet period of the sun coincided, called the Maunder Minimum, coincided with the peak of the Little Ice Age, Mm -hmm. when it was at least two degrees Celsius colder on average on Earth than it is now. And that two-degree warming has made a big difference to how comfortable it is to be on this planet for our our species and many others. Is there a chance, will you be around next weekend, we could schedule something and talk a little longer? I will be, Roy. Okay. I'll be around next weekend. So let me be in touch with you, and we'll schedule a, a, a longer conversation where we can talk about this some more, and we can take some phone calls from our listeners. I'd love to do that. Dr. Patrick Moore, thank you, Patrick. We'll talk to you next weekend. Thanks, Roy. All the best. Ecosense.me, ecosense.me, M-E. Dr. Patrick Moore, we'll schedule a segment with him uh, next weekend, and I want to talk to doc- Dr. Ross McKittrick as well about uh, electricity pricing. Never been cheaper to produce, and never been more expensive to use, and that's going to be the formula for the province of Ontario going forward. And you think it's only Ontario? It ain't. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Colin Kaepernick, starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers today against the Buffalo Bills. Mr. Kaepernick refuses to stand for the U.S. National Anthem, as you know, 
And U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg called Kaepernick's action, quote, dumb and disrespectful, end quote, and said, quote, it's a terrible thing to do, end quote. And then she reversed field on Thursday, apologizing to Kaepernick, who had said the judge's view was disappointing, because at the end of the day, the flag is just a piece of cloth, and I'm not going to value a piece of cloth over people's lives, end quote. It's disturbing when a Supreme Court judge makes a public declaration on something she doesn't know about and then has to retract her statement. And as for Mr. Kaepernick, I have this to say. If I were the commissioner of the National Football League, I'd let it be known that the next player who acts in this manner would be severely fined. A second act would result in another fine and a season suspension. Come back after a year, and if you find a team willing to take you on, and again you sit down during the anthem or otherwise disrespect the principles which provide so much freedom to American citizens as well as millions who are in that nation illegally, and that player would be gone for life. After all, players who celebrate a touchdown inventively are fined and their teams are punished with a 15-yard penalty. These players who are sitting during the anthem who are standing with their heads bowed and arms raised are doing so while wearing the uniform of the team they play for as well as displaying the NFL logo. They're dragging their team, their employer, and the entire National Football League into their protest. Find them for that. Let them protest in their street clothes in a public park somewhere. And as for cops, yes, there are bad ones. But good ones have paid with their lives because anger at police has become a tool of ultra-left-wing types and anarchists who bust themselves into arenas and areas where police shooting takes place and engage in organizing rioting. Yeah, get the bad cops off the streets. I'm not going to ever disagree with that. But has Mr. Kaepernick ever ridden in a police cruiser through the mean streets of any U.S. city? Ever had to do what a cop does and that his place his or her life on the line every day on the job? They're shot at, they're punched, they're spit on, they have bricks thrown at them. Colin Kaepernick has to deal with getting sacked while wearing protective padding and a helmet. And there are rules which prevent Mr. Kaepernick from being hit overly aggressively. Mr. Kaepernick, you say you'll decide when the United States is a nation you can be proud of again and that you'll stand for the national anthem then. Well, I can hardly wait for that day when the United States of America earns Colin Kaepernick's official seal of approval. We'll have a fireworks display. I'm not disrespecting anyone else's opinion on this issue. I'm just sharing mine. When the national anthem is played and you're wearing the uniform of the team which pays your exorbitant salary and represents the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and maybe this year it'll be the NHL as well, stand still for a few minutes. Give a news conference in your street clothes, appear on national media, radio, and television, and share your concerns in your street clothes, and I'll pay attention and I'll listen to what you have to say. I will, and I'll respect that. But I have no time for what's happening because kids are now getting involved. Kids are now uh, protesting and not standing for the national anthem of the United States. Uh, I'm having some difficulty getting my mouse to work again, so can I get the studio to please put Mark Yost on for me? Thank you very much. Don't know why. I guess, I don't know. It's not remote. It's got a cable. Mr. Yost, it's good to have you. It's been yeah, a while, Mark. It's been a yeah, while since you've been I, on the show. I, yeah, I think I'm on. And uh, before we get into this, can we get you to run for president of the United States? Uh, that's the best political statement I've heard in six months. Uh, well, it's a little late for me, considering <laughs> I was considering I was born somewhere else. <laughs> but then that controversy's already been covered. Um, yeah, I, uh, thank you. I... I I just, I, I had a lot more to say, but I didn't want to waste your time. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. And, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to disagree on this. I, I agree with you. And, you know, you make an important point that the NFL, it's perfectly within their right to say to players, Kaepernick or whomever, or, or MLB or any other sports leagues to, you know, knock it off. Because, you know, the, the Constitution, at least in the United States, protect us from oppression by the government. A lot of people forget that. Private, private groups like the NFL can do whatever they want. They make up their own rules. And if they want to make a rule that you stand for the national anthem, 
then they could do that, and, and, and that would solve the whole problem right there. Well, and, you know, when, uh, if you're doing that and you're wearing the uniform, as Kaepernick does, of the 49ers, and other players are doing it as well, you're now dragging your employer into your personal protest. And if I were your employer, I'd be saying exactly that. Cut it out. Do it on your own time because you, have, you certainly have enough profile that you'll get the attention, you'll get the coverage, whether you're in uniform or not. That's just the approach I take anyway. So Exactly. Now, your son is, uh, is in the military in the United States as of last week. Tell us about that. Well, he's a, <laughs> he's a, he's a United States Marine. And uh, he just graduated from boot camp last week, and he's enjoying a little bit of leave. And then he's uh, headed to the School of Infantry, where I'm sure they'll guarantee they'll guarantee that he stand and salute for the national anthem. I don't Thank think there'll be any think. sitting down. No, there will be no sitting down. But. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, but thank you for mentioning that. But uh, yeah, it, and but it, you know, it, it, there's there's a lot of people, whether they've served or not, um, that still you know respect the flag and and realize it's an important thing. Do you might have some disagreements with the government, you might have some disagreements with your mayor or whomever, but you know, um, there are a lot of reasons that you do stand for the national anthem, and and it's sacrifices people have made. And, um, and, you know, I, I'm waiting for Kaepernick to get into Charles Barkley mode and say, well, I'm not a role model and, and, and that. And um, so I, I don't think we've heard the last of this story, uh, especially since it's starting to impact the NFL financially. Yeah, well, they've got a 20% drop in ratings. Is there any sense, Mark, that this, uh, this issue of not standing for the anthem is, is part of that or all of that? I, I think it's a little too early to tell. There's a number of different theories. One may be that uh, the NFL has simply peaked. Um, in ter- you know, I mean, it's, it's similar to the stock market or the real estate market. We think that the, the glory days, the, the continuing rising of the market, continue to go on forever and ever. It may just be that the NFL's at the, you know, as far as it can go, at least for now. And um, we have to remember that, you know, it's still the big kahuna. It still, it still beats the, the MLB, uh, NHL, NBA by a margin of two or three to one in terms of ratings. Even, you know, even baseball that's going on now, and I know you have some interest there north of the border uh, this, this season, this postseason. But, um, you know, even the, even the MLB ratings uh, pale in compared to, say, the Super Bowl um, so, it, so people think a it might have peaked. People think that the pres- there's always a presidential year election factor to it that that ratings dip in the fall of a presidential election. So that could be a factor. But you know, long term, Roy, I, I I think that most people are decent and most people share our opinions that regardless of your political truck with anybody, that you stand for the national anthem. And I have to think that long term long term this is going to have some sort of impact it goes hand in hand with the the cheating at the college level the doctoring of the grades the, you know you know the nfl now it, its policy as part of its rookie indoctrination the nfl has decided it needs to explain to players that um sexual assault and domestic battery is a bad thing um that's what we've come to and and i think all of that kind of adds up, and I, I, I wouldn't say that one of those things that we've mentioned is responsible for the 20% drop, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's a, it's a collective. Um, each part's had a little bit of an impact on it all. Well, we did a segment a couple of years ago, you and I, where we talked about the numbers of NFL players who've had felony charges laid against them, and I think the number was, I'm going by the top of my head now, I think it's around 800 over a, over a period of years. And I'm wondering if any of those players who are, you know, are on the on the field now still, if any of them are engaging in their in a protest sit down. Uh, meanwhile, they faced felony charges for for their behavior in society. There's uh, it's a legitimate question to ask. There's there's so much there's so much to be asked here. When when Ms., when Colin Kaepernick talks about it just being a piece of cloth, you know, it really bugged me because we had a separatist premier of Quebec. Um, who who said I can't remember his name right now. It wasn't Parizo. It was somebody remind me of his name. Um, I actually interviewed him. He was a former he was a former colonel I think in the Canadian Army. Anyway, he became a separatist president of Quebec, a prime minister of Quebec. That's what they call them, prime ministers. They don't call them premiers. They call them prime ministers. And uh, he said, Ah, it's just another. It's just a, a what did he say? It was a red piece of cloth, or something like that. It was. 
It was really a throwaway phrase. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Donald Trump. He continues to be in the news, and there continue to be allegations of sexual harassment, sexual impropriety, sexual assault against the Republican nominee for president. Uh, stacked against that is the WikiLeaks uh, leaks against Hillary Clinton. That's what's happened in the last week. And yet the numbers show, according to polling, we talked to Fran Coombs yesterday. Um, Rasmussen still had Hillary Clinton uh, somewhat ahead. And then an ABC News poll that came out early this morning has Clinton at 47% and uh, Trump at 43%, I think within the margin of error. So he's not going away. Even though these allegations of sexual impropriety are trailing him and more women are coming forward. Gloria Allred, the famed Los Angeles lawyer, who's been a guest on the program many times, uh, is, well, right about now would have finished a, a news conference with a contestant from Donald Trump's reality show, The Apprentice. And the, the contestant said that she was mauled by Donald Trump. Apparently her cousin has challenged what she said, but that's what Gloria Allred was doing. So it continues. And I contacted Marilyn, who was on the program last week. She's an American who lives in Toronto. She's going to vote on the 8th of November, and she's voting Trump. And in her initial email to me, she wrote, I have the choice between a bully and evil, and I'm choosing the bully. And Marilyn sent me a rather lengthy, uh, and I appreciated um, reason why she's voting Trump. And then the uh, computer decided that it was not going to cooperate. So, and I couldn't get the attachment out of it. So, anyway. Uh, but here, I want to read you two emails from Karen from Alberta, and then we'll talk to her. The first email that I received from Karen was on the 19th of March this year. And she wrote, I'm a 52-year-old woman with two master's degrees, born and raised in Alberta for context. Thank you for your voice of reason, Roy. Trump, if you actually listen to his words, is the voice of reason and intelligence. He's outplaying the players, and it shows the lack of media objectivity. He's honest and independent. His approach is often brash, but I don't find him offensive. I find him refreshing and the beacon of hope for all of North America. By the way, why do we criticize a sucker punch and not a verb abuse? Why is physical bullying worse than verbal? They inflict the same damage, and Kevin O'Leary, yes, please. So that was during the primaries. Now, when that video was released of uh, Donald Trump talking about all of the um, disgusting things that he would do to women, I contacted Karen again. And in between, there had been a second email, but I contacted her again, asked her to come on the air if she would talk about it. And she didn't have the time, but she wrote me this. Hi, Roy. I'm sorry I'm on the move, but I'll share my thoughts now. In short, this audio does not change my view of Trump. The audio was locker room talk, and honestly, I wouldn't want my husband to hear my private girl chats on our ladies' night out. Most men speak inappropriately in private to fit in, and I couldn't care less. What I care about is how our president can lead. What is more disturbing to me is that this was recorded, kept, and now brought forward as a tactic. What a dirty campaign the Clintons are running. Wouldn't it be interesting to compare what uh, to what Hillary s said in the past uh, to Bill about Monica Lewinsky? I bet there'd be some juicy gossip there. I think this leak is indicative of how threatened the Democrats are feeling. However, as Trump once said, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Maybe this will backfire for the Democrats again. And it was signed, Karen. And let's talk to Karen now in Alberta. Hi, Karen. Hey, hi, Roy. Nice to talk to you. Well, it's nice to talk to you. We've had the email exchange, and and I, I'm pleased to, to find out from you today. Let me ask you, because we haven't had a conversation about this. Given what's happened this week, are you still on Trump's side? Oh, absolutely, Roy. I mean, look, I'm not a personal fan or friend of Trump. I don't have to marry him. I don't have to be his friend. But as future president, I believe he's the only choice that Americans have. Um, you know, I, I think about this a lot, and I think, okay, is it possible that he has sexually assaulted women? Well, maybe. It wouldn't surprise me if his ego caused him to act inappropriately. 
But, Roy, I don't for a minute believe that these women appeared magically from the woodwork or that the tape of his private conversation on the bus was innocently held and then magically found and released weeks before the election. And nor do I believe that he's evil, cruel, or abusive. He certainly has not been accused of rape, as Clinton has. I mean, I, th- I think he's, he's a man in, who's 60, who has power and extreme ego needs, and I, I seek no deeper meaning here. Um, the reality is that any man who is as financially successful, independent, outspoken, and driven as Trump will come with flaws. We all have our strengths and weaknesses, and we come as a package. And, you know, you think about it, Roy, who runs for president anyway? The choices seem to be the altruist, uh, Bernie Sanders, great guy, totally disagree with his policies, but what an amazing human being. The extremely power-hungry and connected and conniving, which would be the Clintons. And then we've got the egomaniac. Well, given our choices, you know, I think we're safer with the egomaniac. So when somebody might say, look, uh, past behavior is the predictor of future behavior, uh, would that be of any concern to you uh, about Trump? Or is it about, as you say, leadership in the White House and getting the United States back on, in, on, on, a, on a proper course, which, and I hope I'm paraphrasing you correctly, on a proper course to balance budgets and prosperity and, and, and societal cohesion? Oh, absolutely. For me, that, I mean, like it or not, as Canadians, we're just a little flea on the back of this elephant beside us. That's true. And so, as Canadians, we need to be concerned about what's happening in the U.S. And right now, um, we're exposed militarily. The uh, U.S. military has gone downhill. Trump actually cares about it. We know, we can tell from Clinton's past behavior that she doesn't. She doesn't have the skill set. Take a look at what happened in Benghazi. Um, we know that the economy in the U.S. is tanking, which will take us down right with it. Mm-hmm. Um, education system, they're right next door. How many of our kids go to university in the U.S.? So anything that benefits the U.S. is going to benefit us. We're one and the same. Well, you know, you have, a, you, you know, uh, the United States military has gone downhill, and yeah. it's, been, it's been driven in that direction by the current occupant of the White House. And uh, we also know that the current occupant of the White House drew the red line in the sand in Syria, which yep. turned out to mean nothing and, uh, and resulted um, in a lot of the carnage that's happening now. Had the uh, United States stood up, as Obama said it would, uh, a lot of what the carnage has taken place would not. But anyway, so it's, it's, it's definitive for you. It doesn't matter what happens between now and November the 8th. You would, if you could vote in the United States, you would choose Donald Trump. Absolutely. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.